to go a little unorthodox as long as I can try to prove it exegetically. And that's going to be my case this evening. And so, uh, but uh, 60 slides, a slide a minute, 60 minutes, we'll get out about two hours from now. So, uh, but we will have our time of prayer after, after I'm done and we'll get out on time. What? What? Feed y'all? Uh, it's seven o'clock. Dinner time's over, DT. Dinner time's over. How many people have not had dinner yet? Really? Wow. Okay. Well, I am in trouble, Bill. Thanks for uh, letting me know that. So with that, I do want to open up with a word of prayer. We're going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse number 44. And uh, so I want to open up a word of prayer, and then we'll just dive right in. So God, I thank you for this evening. And the great news of hearing that Pastor Ken and Ms. Jen are making their way back and flights are going smoothly. We just pray for a safe flight. Uh, the rest of the leg, rest of the trip of, of the way home. We just pray, Lord, that you just be with us in here this evening and every other ministry going on with the Thrive Youth Group, the Kids Ministries, the Nursery, and that you'd be honored and glorified and pleased what we do. And I pray, God, that all the teaching, instruction, and material is uh, going to be used and by the Holy Spirit to equip, to edify, to encourage uh, your folks. And I pray that everybody sees that it's nothing of me. And Lord, I'm just a servant of yours. And I pray you just use me as such a vessel. So we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So again, since we don't have a confidence monitor, I'm going to be over here. And so for those of you that have seen the little uh, uh, teaser trailer, if you will, illuminating John 6, 44. Now, question right off the bat. Who can recite John 6, 44 right off the top of their head? John 6, 44. What about paraphrase? Okay, okay. Those that are theologically minded and love getting into theology, you're going to love tonight. Those of you that don't really care much about getting into theology, I see some yawns over there. Uh, you might just take a nap, if you will. But this is going to be for the theology nerds like me and Bill and Aaron and others like y'all in here as well. So, John chapter 6, verse number 44, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day. So what I want to do is I want to make an argument, make a case as far as how should this verse be viewed. And it has to be viewed strictly from a contextual perspective and a Jewish perspective. When I mean context, I mean not only from within the grammatical syntax of how the actual passage is written, but also with the historical context and the cultural context. What was going on in the day of Jesus's public ministry? And then how does the Jewish perspective align with this? John 6.44 is one of the most, one of the most misunderstood and abused verses of scripture. There's a wide range of questions that people come to this verse and ask. Does this verse, no man can come unto me except the Father which sent me drawn, does that teach monergism? That regeneration precedes faith, that God has to regenerate them to make them want to come and respond positively to the gospel. The other question is, does the Father still draw people today? Does the Father draw people today? Is this a matter of when it says no man can come? Is this a matter of ability or volition? In other words, is this a matter of somebody can or can't? Or is it a matter of somebody that does or does not want to? Volition, free will. These are some of the many questions that come up from this particular verse. 
Unfortunately, we've seen it plenty of times that philosophy drives theology. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is that we have this philosophical idea in our brain that we insert into the Word of God. And so we try to go ahead and take everything we read in Scripture to fit that preconceived idea or philosophy in our head. And so a lot of times, you've heard me say this before, and it's why I taught that message saying theology matters, because we have to be aware. Now, we all have certain biases and presuppositions already before we come to Scripture. We just have to be aware of them. Then we have to be willing to challenge our own presuppositions if it clearly reveals that Scripture contradicts what we think. And so philosophy does drive it a lot of times. For instance, John MacArthur in his study Bible says that this particular verse, there is no free will in man's nature. Man has no free will. Then he goes on to say that while whosoever will may come, only those who the Father gives the ability will come. Now, right off the bat, there's a few issues with this because, again, this is driven by philosophy and not exegetical theology because the first part where he says no free will exists within man's nature, this is driving determinism. This is one of the founding arguments of Calvinism in the fact that you and I, because of the sovereignty of God, we simply do what God decreed us to do. This is, in other words, named as meticulous determinism or determinism so fine that every aspect of your life is governed by the sovereignty of God. The other part of his statement here, it says, whosoever will may come, but only those that the, God, that the Father sends will come. This is actually a self-defeating statement. This is illogical. This is paradoxical. In other words, it doesn't make sense. If whosoever will could come, then they could. But what he's saying here is since God only gives the ability to some, for some to come, it doesn't matter who may because those people can't come. We've already talked about this before. It's the aspect of total inability or total depravity, the fact that to some folks within their theological system, man's nature is so depraved that we can't even positively respond to the gospel. And that's, that's an erroneous teaching of scripture. So his statement there is very illogical. Then we have Mitchell Prasad in the 10 Reformed Doctrines explained. He says, draw, no man can come to the Father except, come to the Son except the Father draw him. He says, draw is not a mild word. It's a word that implies force. Make no mistake, God is not begging or pleading. If we remember, man is totally unable to do good. What he's saying here, right on the bottom, first I want you to notice his commitment to the philosophy of total inability. He says, if we remember that man cannot do any good, so he's holding on, he has a grasp, a grip on total inability, says, since we know that we can't do any positive good, we can't respond positively, therefore, we have to understand that God doesn't just woo people to believe, but God drags people to salvation to himself. Here he says, like I said, draw is not a mild word. We've talked about this technical term before. It's called illegitimate, illegitimate identity transfer. And basically, it's going to be taking one definition within a wide range of definitions and takes that one definition and applies it everywhere. I want to go ahead and show you here in a minute. Gotquestions.org. Great website. A good website as far as trying to get some quick answers to a lot of stuff. You have to realize they have a theological uh, bias just like we all do. And so if I had a website, C4C, you know, I have a theological bias as well. So you go there, you'll know what my theology is. Same with theirs. They say that the Greek word translated draw, elko, which means to drag, 
He says, some come willingly and some are dragged unwillingly, but all come when talking about John 6.44. Now, I want you to see something. I have four different lexicons dating back to the middle 1800s all the way up to uh, like the beginning times of the 1900s. Here, the word elko, which is to draw or to drag like they say, reveals that it's to draw, lead, or impel. Reveals the fact that it's also to draw or attach or attract the pool on a man's inner life. Reveals that it's to draw mentally and morally. And it is to metaphorically draw by inward power, lead, or impel. None of these lexicons has the definition of drag for that particular verse. That's known as the illegitimate identity transfer, saying that it means drag on all these verses. I'll show it. These words in red right here and these passages are the words in which that Greek word elko is used. It's used as draw or drawn, whatever the case is. Now, if we were to go ahead and say that it actually means to drag forcefully against somebody's will, it wouldn't make sense with Peter's sword being drugged because that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about drawing his sword, pulling it out. Then on the right side, figurative, we're looking at John 6:44 and John 12:32, and even in the Song of Solomon, in the Septuagint, the same Greek word elko, to draw, is used not to drag because she's not saying, drag me to you. She's saying, woo me to you, lead me to you, guide me to you. What's happening is, based off two verses, really one, but maybe two, where drag can be used as an appropriate definition, there on the bottom, Acts 16, 19, where Paul and Silas were drug in front of the court. So you get the idea of being forced. You grab them, and you're dragging them to the court system, right? That could be very valid. They're taking that, and they're applying that dragging to every other time it's used within Scripture, illegitimate identity transfer. So what are some alternate understandings of John 6.44? Calvinists, a lot of times people with different theologies, they'll say, nope, God has to force you to believe, otherwise you would never come. Well, Dr. Charlie Bing says that God draws people to Christ using various means inclusion. The context of John 6.44 suggests the Father gives people to Christ so that they will be secure. Then we read that God's sovereign work directing people to Jesus so that they will believe in him for salvation. And so what Dr. Bing does is, number one, he's able to avoid the poor theology known as total depravity or total inability and the fact that man can't respond positively to the gospel. We don't have to presuppose that. Then we look at the fact that in the context of John chapter 6, it says in numerous verses that the purpose of this drawing unto Jesus is for security, is to be risen up in the resurrection and things of that nature. So he's able to hold to the actual context of the passage that it's not necessarily for justification's sake, but it's for uh, protection, for security, for the resurrection in the end. Sean Lazar says that Jesus is the light of men who lightens every man so that all through him might believe because God loves the world. Jesus is very clear that all men are drawn. John 6.44 doesn't teach individual election. Rather, he is teaching that before you came to faith, God was already drawing you and all men to his son. This is probably one of the more common views that we have in the fact that John 6.44 is paralleled with John 12.32. Jesus said, when I am lifted up on the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And so what's being said here is a very common explanation in the fact that God reaches all people. 
God's draw is for all people. God so loved the world that he is reaching all people. And then when he says there at the bottom, if God had not reached down to us first, we would not want to reach out to him at all. And so it's the fact that God reached down from heaven, that God went ahead to go ahead and reveal himself to us, to reveal his love to us, to give us general revelation and special revelation that we can respond to him. If God did not do that, then we would argue that man cannot respond to God because we would have no idea, any recollection about the love, mercy, grace, justice of God or anything like that. And so he argues that it's about God's drawing and reaching us first so that we we can respond. Another view that's commonly held amongst a lot of people is the fact that when Jesus says no man can come, it speaks about the ability that no man can come to Jesus unless God the Father first draws him. And we can all look back on the life of our conversion and our testimony of when we got saved that we probably felt a nudge, a tug, a drawing to the gospel message, and then we went ahead and accepted Christ as our Savior. So a lot of people will say when Jesus is talking about no man can, come. It's a matter of ability rather than volition, whereas some people will say that it's man doesn't desire to come. It's an aspect that man can't come unless God draws him. However, while those are good uh, explanations, I believe they miss the mark a little bit. I believe the context dictates uh, what's actually being said here, and that's the case I want to argue and build upon. I really look at this like Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, where Jesus, for, when Paul says, if you believe in your mouth, believe with your heart that Jesus Christ rises from the dead, that you will be saved. And that confession, that you have to confess with your mouth. A lot of times people will use that as an evangelistic passage to say, if you want to get saved, you have to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and then you can be saved. But we have videos on that and teachings on that. That Romans 10, 9, and 10 is talking about the Jewish remnant during the end times, during the tribulation period. It's not talking about the church age. Romans 9 through 11 is very important to understand in that regard. So what is John 6, 44 talking about? Well, I want to notice a couple key things as far as the passage is concerned. Here in verse 37, we read that all that the Father giveth me will come to him. And he says, of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. Everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. No man can come to me except the Father which sent, him, sent me draw him. 644. This is the passage that we're, that's in question as far as what is 644 talking about. There's five main points to my argument as far as to be able to prove what I believe John 6 44 is talking about. First, John 6 is talking about the Father drawing, not the Son and not the Spirit. Jesus is very specific during this point of his ministry that says that the Father is drawing people. And so we see this in 637 and 644. In John 12 and then in John 16, we read that Jesus will be drawing people. And we read that the Spirit will convict or reprove. And so there are three persons of the Trinity. I believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, so I believe the words that are in Scripture are there for a specific divine purpose. And the fact that when Jesus says the Father will draw men, he's not talking about himself in the future. He's not talking about the Spirit in the future. 
He's talking about the Father, God the Father alone. Not John 12, 32 and not John 16, 8. That's the first point. The second point is John 6 is talking about the present tense, the present day ministry of Jesus Christ. You see, if you were to read the scriptures and try to do a search for this phraseology as far as the Father drawing, you will only find this terminology used in the Gospels. The Gospels are a very interesting piece of genre because the Gospels, you have the Old Testament, which was prior to Christ. You have the New Testament epistles and Acts, which was after the ascension of Christ. But then you have the Gospels. The Gospels are an interesting work because they were written for the period of which Christ lived on the earth and had his ministry on the earth. And so it's very important that this is a different period. This wasn't necessarily how we consider the Old Testament, how we consider the New Testament. It's sort of this transitional period from the old to the new. And so when Jesus is saying all the Father gives, he's talking about present day, present tense giving. That when he's there during his ministry and in John 6.44 and John 6.37 and elsewhere that we will see, it's about his current ministry going on, not future. The third point is John 6.64 and 6.65, I believe, is a lot of times overlooked when trying to understand John 6.44. John 6.64 and 65 says, but there are some of you that don't believe. Who, sh- who should betray him? Therefore, Jesus said, no man can come to me except it were given unto him of my father. So here in John 6, 64 and 65, Jesus tells us why he even said verse 44. He says, it's because there's some of you in this crowd that don't even believe in me as the Messiah. Now, some people will take that as saying, see, they weren't elected, they weren't predestined, but I argue that's not going to be the case, and I'll prove my case here momentarily. But this is a very important part, because again, if this is a present tense drawing, God is not drawing those people, the Father is not drawing those people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. I will put my flag in the ground there. I will stake my claim right there on that marker. The Father is not drawing unbelievers during the present ministry of Jesus Christ. And I will make uh, that case momentarily as well. Fourth argument. John 10, John 15, John 17, and John chapter 3 are all going to be important into understanding what Jesus means in John 6.44. So chapters 10, 15, 17, and then John chapter 3. So let's look briefly at John chapter 10. Now I'm not going to go into a whole lot. I have verses up here, but I'm not going to go into a whole lot of great detail, but I'm going to be trying to make my case. Here in John 10, we read in verse 4, Jesus says, When he putteth forth his sheep, he goeth before him, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Then down in verse 14, Jesus Christ says, I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So here in the great shepherd passage, we see the fact that Jesus Christ says he knows his sheep. And the fact that his sheep know him. In that when they hear his voice, they will follow him, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah. Basically, when Jesus would come, the sheep would know his voice. And when he comes, those who believed Jesus 
would follow him. We see this in the Gospels when people were followers of John the Baptist. They followed Jesus Christ. I, don't, I have not read of, nor have I seen anybody write of, any of John the Baptist's followers that rejected Jesus as the Messiah. No one can, has ever pointed out that a John the Baptist follower rejected Christ as Messiah. So here in John chapter 10, I would argue the fact that if Jesus Christ says he has two folds, and a lot of times how this verse will be used, this passage is the fact that the fold, those sheep of Jesus are the elect. But if that was the case, the sheep of the other fold that Jesus Christ has come for would naturally be the non-elect, and that wouldn't really make a whole lot of sense. But to you and I, we know that the fold that Jesus is talking about are Jewish people, and the other fold Jesus is talking about are the Gentile believers that will come to him as well in faith. So those are the two different folds that he's talking about. John 15 Jesus Christ says here, this is the fruit and the vine. And this is a little later after that passage. He says, all things that I've heard of my father, I've made known to you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit. That's not talking about chosen to salvation. That's talking about, he's talking to the apostles and the fact that he chose them at, for the office of the apostle so that they would go out and proclaim his name. It's a choosing or an election unto service or unto an office and not unto salvation. Jesus Christ says very clearly here in verse 20, if they have persecuted me, they will. He didn't say they may. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. What else does he say? If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours. He says, all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Why? Because they know not him that sent me. Verse 23, he that hateth me, hateth my father also. Remember, this is all present-day ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is telling the apostles very blatantly, absolute statements, if they rejected me, they're going to reject you. If they have accepted me as Messiah, they're going to accept you in the words you have. He's being very absolute with this. So for summing up this, those that persecuted Jesus, he says they didn't know the Father. And so those people during the time in life of Jesus Christ that persecuted Jesus Christ and rejected him as the Messiah, to me, Jesus is saying, they didn't know the Father. They did not know God the Father. They could have had all the show and go, but they didn't know him. It says those that hated Jesus during his ministry hate the Father, and the rejection of Jesus as Messiah was even foretold that they hated me without a cause. That's what Jesus says. Jesus states the people that received him will receive the apostles. Those that persecute them reveal they never believed Jesus as Messiah and their rejection of the Father. John 17. If there's one other area that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die on a hill, it's going to be this right here. I think John 17 is very instrumental into making sense of John chapter 6. John 17. Here we get a high priestly prayer. And Jesus prays for those that would believe through the message of the disciples and their witness and their testimony. And so before that, we read, I have manifested, talking to the Father, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And they have kept thy word. 
Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me. And they received them and have known surely that I came out from thee. And they which have believed that thou didst send me, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me. What do we find interesting in those verses? Thou hast given me. Verse 37 of John 6, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's going to be very interesting here in a moment. You see, Jesus Christ says there's numerous things that have transpired in past tense, if you will. Jesus manifested the Father to these people. They were the fathers, past tense. Thine they were. They were the fathers. The father gave us them to Jesus. They kept the father's word. They've known what Jesus said was from the father. Jesus gave them the words the father told him to give. They received the words the father told Jesus to give. They have known Jesus came from the father and they have believed the father sent Jesus. This is what Jesus says essentially before he gets arrested. That all that thou gave me they believed, they kept your word, I gave them all your word, and they believed. I personally do not believe anything in this passage has anything to do with the church age. Okay? Now, I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. I believe this is all specifically talking about the public ministry of Jesus Christ those three years. Jesus manifested the Father. Jesus contrasts his prayer for those the Father gave him with all people in the world, and he identifies who the Father gave by past tense. Jesus reveals the fact that the Father gave him. They were already the fathers. That's interesting. Because if Jesus says, thine they were, they already believed in the Father. They were already God's children. I would argue they were already saved. And I'm going to show you something pretty interesting here a little bit. And so if they were the fathers, they were already believers when Christ began his public ministry. The word givest, thou givest, is going to be interesting as well. Then we get to John chapter 3, 25 through 36. Verse 33. Well, we'll start at the beginning. John the Baptist's disciples are coming to John the Baptist saying, hey, all these people are flocking to Jesus. They're not coming to you anymore. They're going to him. What does John the Baptist say? You yourselves bear witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I am sent before him. And then he says, he that received his testimony has set his seal that God is true. So apparently, John the Baptist is very full aware that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was a forerunner of the Christ and the fact that he was going to lose his followers to follow Christ as Messiah. This is where we get in Acts chapter 19 where there are disciples of John the Baptist there and they believed the Messiah. They didn't realize he came yet. They didn't realize the Holy Spirit was given yet. So Paul had to expound a little bit more and they received the Holy Spirit there. There were still a few of John the Baptist followers that were there but most of them followed at that time when Christ had his public ministry. And he says that he that received his testimony, Jesus' testimony, has set a seal or proved that God is true. So disciples of John Baptist questioned why he was losing followers. John reminds them even though they believed he was the forerunner and that whoever received Jesus as Messiah would show their faith in the Father, set their seal upon God. 
Point number five. This is the last point, and then I'm going to wrap all this up. Point number five, Jesus Christ has been given numerous things by the Father during his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ had received power. All things were delivered to him. He has been given all things. He has been given authority. He has been given power over flesh. I personally believe that these things were given and transferred to Jesus Christ during his ministry on earth. And I think that's what these passages and context reveal as well. So if Jesus was given various things by the Father during his ministry, we can argue that the people that the Father gave as well during his ministry are in the similar lane. You see, the word given there is the Greek word didomi, and it means to uh, entrust someone or something to another's care. It's sort of to transfer ownership, authority, or transfer custody to another person. That's what didomi stands for, means. After Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, nothing else is said to be given by the Father to the Son. It's only used during this transitional period of the Bible. It's not used in the epistles. It's not used in Acts. It's used in the Gospels. These things that were transferred or given to Jesus were given during his life on earth. So back to John 6. John 6, 36 through uh, 44. In John chapter 6, verse 36, we read, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. So Jesus Christ, right off the bat, is talking to people that reject him as the Messiah. They don't believe he is the Christ. Jesus says in verse 37, all that the Father giveth him will acknowledge him as the Messiah. John 6, 37, all that the Father giveth me will come to me. Then he goes on, there are some people that are murmuring and then people that were striving against Jesus post-unpardonable sin. And then you get the fact that John 6, 64 and 6, 65, Jesus Christ says, for G- there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, because I knew which of you don't believe me as the Messiah and reject me, therefore, I said, no man can come unto me except it were given to him of the Father. So what do I believe John 6, 44 is saying? I want to illustrate it. You have this prophecy that Christ the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. That he's going to die as a suffering servant in Isaiah 53. He's going to bear the iniquities of the world. So we have this prophecy. At some point in history, Jesus Christ is going to come. You have Old Testament people. They are saved by looking ahead to the promise of the coming Messiah. You have New Testament church age people that are looking back at the coming of Messiah. He already came, so we're looking back at what he did. But there is some unique group of people that were actually alive when he was here. Too many times we have this dichotomy that we're only looking towards the promise or we're looking back at the promise. And we forget that there are people that lived in the midst 
of that promise. And that's what the gospels are. The gospels are the people that were living in the midst of that promise, what I call the testamental transition. Therefore, it is very logical to believe that there are a lot of people, if we got saved by looking forward to the promise of the coming Messiah, if we got saved by putting our faith in Christ's coming, guess what? There's probably a lot of people already saved by the time Jesus Christ had his public ministry. There may be some people that never heard of Jesus Christ in the prophecies as well. So they're listening to what he says, comparing it with scripture, and then putting their faith in him and getting saved as well. You see, when John 17, when Jesus says, all that thou givest me, thou givest me, thou givest me, this is in perfect tense in the Greek, in the indicative mood. Indicative simply means it's a statement of fact. It happened. Perfect tense in the Greek simply means that it was a, in essence, a one-and-done type event that possibly has some action carried on in the future. We see this most clearly in John 19.30 when Jesus says, it is finished, when he died for the sins of the whole world. Meaning the fact that there is nothing else needing to be done to atone and pay for your sins or my sins. That Jesus Christ's death on the cross paid for it all. It is finished. All we have to do is look and live. The same perfect indicative in 1930 when we get the understanding that it was done once for all is the same perfect indicative when Jesus says, thou gave me, thou gave me, thou gave me. Perfect tense. It's not a present tense. It's not a future tense. It's a one and done type deal. So when John 6, when Jesus Christ is telling people that all that the Father gives me will come to me, He's saying, present tense, all the people that come to me, the Father gave. He's essentially summing up his ministry at this point, saying, all that you gave me, I've received. To me, that means there's a definite people that the Father draws to the Son. Now, I believe John 12, 32, Jesus Christ says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men. We're not talking about the Son. Jesus is talking about the Father's ministry. There's a distinction in persons. You see, when we go back to this list, Jesus Christ says, Thine they were, all that the Father gives me. They believed, you sent me, will come to me. And so in John 17, it encapsulates those that the Father had, he gave and led to the Son. They believed in the Son, and they came to him. In summary, in conclusion, if you were to ask me what John 6.44 is about, it's a very unique transitional period of Jewish history. John 6.37 is regarding Old Testament believers who were alive during the ministry of Christ, to whom Christ declared his Messiahship. Those Jewish believers believed in him as a promised Messiah. These are they who have been given to Jesus by the Father. The transfer of the object of faith from the coming Messiah to the Messiah is here. This explains why he stated that no one can come except the Father draw him because he knew during that present moment who didn't believe him as Messiah. Those who hated the Son reveal they hated the Father, John 15, 23. And those who accepted the Son believed the Father, John 3, 25. Therefore, those given by the Father and drawn to Christ were Old Testament Jewish believers in the Messiah already. In that Greek word for 
thou givest me, given by the Father, is the Greek word, like I said, to entrust to another's care. To say, here, I'm giving you this. Take care of it. This was a transitional period in the life of Christ. That during his day, they were under the Father's custody. When Jesus Christ came, Jesus Christ declared he was the Messiah. And at that point, the Father transferred those people from the Father's custody to the custody of Christ and the security of Jesus. And that's what he means when he says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And that's why in this passage, you read the aspects of, I will raise him up in the last day, in the resurrection. And I should raise it up again in the last day in verse 39 and in verse uh, 40, 46, 44, other passages. The security was given to Jesus Christ of those Jewish people who believed in the Father during that transitional period. Summed up in one sentence, John 6, is the transferring of contemporary Jewish people who were already saved under the Old Testament to the security of the Son by the Father during that transitional period between the Old Testament and the church age. That's what John 6, is in a nutshell. It's not election. Those that were elect are drawn to Christ. It's not that. It's everybody, because he says very clearly, the Father draws them to the Son. And Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. That hasn't happened at that point in Jesus' ministry. He says, the Father gives me will come. And we've got to remember, when we're reading the Gospels, it's a very different time period. It's not, it's not Old Testament in the sense we think of it. It's not New Testament in the sense we think of it. There has to be some group of people that live during the life of Christ. And that's what this passage is talking about. Someone else puts it like this. This passage from Isaiah, when he's talking about John 6, 45, speaks of the redeemed Jewish people in the millennium who are attracted or drawn to Messiah as Lord teaches them. So also here in Jesus's earthly ministry, Jesus's true disciples had accepted the Old Testament teaching concerning Messiah and responded to Jesus when he presented himself as Messiah. And what we have is that people have been drawn to Jesus as Messiah through the testimony of the Old Testament, the word of God, in Jesus' day by the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist. This view is not only held by me. There's quite a few people that hold this view as well because we try to remain and retain the Jewish perspective of Scripture. So if you were to ask me again, what is 644? There were Jewish people that were saved during the life of Christ before he even began his ministry. And they were transferred to the custody from the Father to the Son. It has nothing to do with election or predestination. And so, I don't know, was that a little bit more than last week or was last week a little more? What do you think? You know, a bunch of like stares and whatnot. Sarah's like, I don't know. Well, you get Pastor Ken back next week, I believe. So, uh, yeah. Any questions, comments, critiques, concerns about anything? before we sign well I do I do have these slides uh, in PDF so if you want these slides in PDF definitely let me know and I can send them to you and then we get Will Will uh, has something first and then we'll get to you Drew
enlightenment. <laughs> Drew. What, what do you mean, the Jewish people? What do you mean? Yeah. So Paul very much hated the apostles. Yeah. You know, that's a that's an interesting point as far as the apostle Paul is concerned, and where he would fit. Because I don't see anything in Scripture, you know, anything in Scripture before the Damascus Road that really tells us what his life and his views were. We don't see anything in Scripture that says necessarily he clearly persecuted Jesus Christ during his ministry or he rejected his Messiahship, you know. So I think the Scriptures are pretty silent on that aspect. So it could be similar to the fact that uh, he believed in the Father and he was still maybe on the fence about Christ as Messiah and was trying to recognize how all this being the Berean in Acts 17 could be like that. That's something that's, that's a good thought and something, you know, we could look at and really figure that piece out because there are some of those outliers at times as well. So, but that is a good question as far as Paul, where does he fit into that? Anybody else? I said, I know it was a lot. Sarah. Definitely was, yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, we'll, uh, we will uh, sign off. Are we still live? Okay. Well, we, thanks for being with us live stream, folks. Uh, we're going to jump into our time of prayer. And so if you have any prayer requests, go ahead and just leave them in the comments below. Can you bump me down a little bit, Oscar, on Joe's mic?